You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. In the fall each year we all congregate The bounce all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia fame Ain't nothing finer in the lane Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. I'm Herschel Gurley here as always with my co-host Boss Dog. And again, this week we are joined by a special guest, uh, DGD and former Dogs quarterback Hudson Masons with the Hudson. What's up, man? Guys, uh, good to see you again. Yeah, you too, brother. Well, hey, first off, uh, look, some things have changed since we talked to you. You got a couple different things going on now. Why don't you tell everybody uh, about your new shows that you got going on? Yeah, um, you know, still over uh, at 6A, the fan. Um, you know, actually got a little bit of a, a promotion in terms of uh, bandwidth, I guess. Uh, you know, I was on the sister station, uh, Extra 106.3, for, for a couple of years and uh, got promoted over with uh, Buck Blue. I'm sure that name rings a bell to you guys. Um, so him and I will be doing a show uh, every day, same time, 12 to 3. Uh, we've actually already started it. The, the uh, new show, I guess, technically goes into effect uh, Thursday, October 1st. So uh, but we've been, you know, kind of doing it the past week and a half. And so really looking forward to that. We're going to be a heavy college football show, which is obviously right in both of our uh, wheelhouses. And, um, you know, we're going to talk a lot of SEC and, and ACC football. And, you know, we've been ordered by the uh, the boss to talk heavy, heavy college football, SEC and, and uh, Braves number two. So I think it'll it'll bode well for what a lot of people in this part of the country like to hear. And and then uh, also on Saturday mornings, uh uh, Sports Map Radio Game Day with Hudson Mason is uh, a college football show that I'm doing that is syndicated across the country in certain markets. It's on in Atlanta, um, Nashville, you know, there's there's other markets. And I think the best way probably for people to listen to that is just, you know, be plugged into my social media at HMason14. I always tweet out the the podcast link. So subscribe and, and you can listen to that on Saturday mornings. I post it immediately after the show. It's 7 to 8 a.m. Eastern. And actually this week, we're going to have Coach Rick on to uh, talk a lot about uh, not only Miami and and how much success they're having, but also get his opinion on the quarterback situation in the offense in Athens. Yeah, that's fantastic. And what we'll do too is we will uh, post that in the show notes so folks can plug that easy, not just your social stuff. So everybody can follow all that. That's interesting. You're talking to Coach Rick. Saw he dropped a little hint. He's releasing a book coming out next September, huh? Yeah, he is. I, I think uh, I was doing a little reading on it. Um, I hope I'm not misspeaking on this, but it sounds like it may be a devotional. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I could be way wrong. And if I am, I apologize. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's Coach Rick's a great guy and, and uh, I think he'll have a lot of success selling that book. And who knows, maybe when uh, COVID goes away, you may see him at the uh, bookstore on game day uh, doing a book signing or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's funny. We had uh, we had Seth Emerson on a, a few weeks back talking about his book, Attack the Day. And 
I saw him tweet out something today. I think they're going to try and do a book signing at the bookstore or somewhere in Athens prior to the Tennessee game on the 10th. Um, as long as there's, no, you know, obviously nothing super adverse yeah. happens, I think they're going to try and move forward to that. Because I do think in some ways, you know, arms are further around this whole deal and, and dealing yeah. with it and, and letting folks get to do stuff than they were obviously before. So, so that's good. Happy to hear those things. Um, well, I don't want to bury the lead, boys. I feel like we need to talk about the quarterback, but I can't. Uh, I can't have y'all not comment on this soundbite that Kirby just let out in the the media chats here recently. I don't know if it was this afternoon or what, but I'm just gonna play it for you real quick. I just want to get y'all's thoughts because, you know, it just made me laugh out loud. I feel like he's been a little extra salty this week. I'm a big fan of salty Kirby, so um, <laughs> this is this is right up that alley. So I'm gonna give this a listen real quick so y'all can hear it. Let's see here. You ask somebody the week of the game, the team they're playing will have the most talent in the league. And then next week, that team will have the most talent. And then the next week, that team will have the most talent. And that's called Coach Speak. So thanks, Gus. He has the most talent in the SEC. And so you ask somebody. <laughs> I mean, I just think that's an A-plus quote on so many levels. Like, um, I guess Gus had come out yesterday during his Monday press conference, or maybe it was this morning during, during his chat today, and it said uh, they have the most talent in the league. And, you know. Kirby having a little fun with that and turning that back around. So I don't know. But what were y'all's thoughts on that? Yeah, that definitely is agitated Kirby, which you don't hear a lot of. Um, you know, I, I think him and him and Gus do a pretty good job of downplaying their uh, disdain for each other. You remember a couple of years ago uh, after Auburn beat Georgia, you know, Gus was caught on 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 audio saying we just whipped the dog crap out of him. Yep. And uh, I think that stuff sticks with coaches. Um, and I know it gets under their crawl. And Kirby's 100% right. that That's completely coach talk. I mean, and it's almost a little bit of a shot in the sense that there's no way you looked at Georgia after the Arkansas game and you could go, that's the most talented team in the country. <laughs> so I don't know if it was indirectly or directly, but I think you could obviously pretty much pretty tell uh, – pretty much tell that Kirby thinks it was uh, it was kind of uh, I don't even want to call it a backhanded compliment. It was almost like, uh, no, that was it was that was meant to be kind of, uh, I don't know, stir the pot, I guess. Yeah, I kind of felt like he took it as just a shot across the bow. And he's like, I'm not even going to fool with this. Like, I'm just going to fling yeah. this right back. And I mean, I feel like there's just a lot of history there, too. And if we're being honest about it, a lot of the time, whether it been when he was at Alabama or now that he's been at Georgia, Kirby's had the upper hand in those matchups. So, um, yeah, Gus obviously a little bit, a uh, little bit cantankerous this week on that. So, anyways, it's just uh, that I found that funny. Well, um, I mean, look, Hudson, we can't have you here and not talk about the quarterback. He played the position in the SEC and for the Dogs, and and obviously after this past week, there's some unsettledness, I guess, with everything, um, mm -hmm. to say the least. Uh, big announcement Monday, obviously, was that JT Daniels is, is cleared to play. Do you take that as he's automatically in the discussion? Or, I mean, where do you sit on all that when you, when you heard he was cleared? Yeah, so we were actually airing the presser live. Uh, we do every Monday at the first 30 minutes of, of uh, my show with Buck on 680. And so I was listening to it live when I heard him announce it. And the takeaway I had was when he mentioned JT Daniels would be cleared. He didn't mention it. The tone in his voice was not very optimistic. Like uh, it was usually when a guy's coming back and he's clear, it's excited. It's upbeat. His tone was more like almost, yeah, he's cleared, but like he wasn't going to be getting many reps. Like he almost wasn't even in, in a part of the equation. And so, um, I don't know. I feel like I, I have a pretty good beat on reading through coach talk and coach speak and, and, and probably because I've heard a lot of it and I can filter through what's true and what's not. That to me kind of stuck out. And I don't think it's that JT Daniels won't be, uh, you know, won't, won't be given a chance because he's he's not healthy. He wouldn't be cleared if he wasn't healthy. I think it's more that he probably hasn't been getting a lot of reps with the ones. Um, and so maybe mentally in the playbook, he's just not there yet. And I'll also say this, Coach, Coach Mark could be completely playing mind games with us all. You know, he could be completely trying to downplay it. And maybe JT Daniels trots out there against Auburn, you know, as the starter. So, that much that that very much could be because I know coaches 
kind of try to send messages and, and uh, do those things and through the media. Um, but, you know, to me, I, I think, I think Kirby, I think Kirby Colt pulled Dwan a little too early on Saturday. I think that was a game that you're going to want win either way. None of these quarterbacks are ready right now. Uh, and it's not necessarily their fault. We're in a weird year and I don't want to make excuses, but it's just kind of like Georgia looked like a team in the quarterback and the offense, I'll, I'll say the offense, the offense looked like a, 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 a unit that had very limited reps in the middle of a pandemic. Like that, that's the most simplistic way to put it. They looked disorganized. They looked like they didn't have any continuity. And I was sitting there watching and I was like, you know, this wasn't a big surprise to me. What was a surprise to me was not being able to run the ball. What was a surprise to me is we only averaged 2.9 yards per, per carry. I guarantee, and I haven't even looked at this. I'm just shooting this out from my hip. That has to be the lowest amount of yards per average per carry in the four years that Kirby Smart's been the head coach there. I, I think that was the bigger takeaway for me is we've always been able to run the football with this offensive line of running backs and, and against Arkansas really in the first half there, we couldn't get any push. And I know you're, you're moving and moving around four new offensive linemen, two new running backs, but you know, Zeus looked good in the sugar bowl. Uh, he didn't look the same against Arkansas cook had, you know, didn't really break many tackles. So, you know, to me, people forget like when Jake from and, and everybody's looking at Georgia's performance offensively through the premise in the vacuum of just how the quarterback Juan Mathis played. And I'll say he, did, he didn't look good. He did. He looked a little overwhelmed. I think Georgia though, could have done some things to help him. You know, if you remember Jake Fromm, when he went to South Bend for his first start on the road as a true freshman, you know, people forget we rushed for 180 yards as a team that game. Uh, right. Jake threw for a very pedestrian 140 yards. You know, imagine if if Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle hadn't been able to run that, or we hadn't been able to run the football in South Bend that day. Jake Fromm would have looked just as inept and bad as as Duan did on Saturday. So I, I think hopefully things get better with, with running the ball, and I think that's where you'll take some pressure off the quarterback. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. We, we had talked about this post-game. We had done a quick kind of podcast on just reactions and whatnot, and you know Zeus had 13 carries, mm-hmm. which – I just feel like to your point is, is not really indicative of, of what Kirby generally wants to do. And I think they came out and it seemed like, I know they ran the ball, I think on first down, the first um, three first downs they had, but it just seemed like there was a mission there. And maybe some of it was dictated by down and distance. I don't know, but it seemed like the plan was we want to fling it a little bit. Yeah. We want to kind of open it up and then, run off of that once that opens up some holes or maybe move some folks off the line. I don't know. Maybe they thought because Sam had been there and had had such familiarity with them that they'd be jamming the box and they'd have some yeah. windows and, and maybe get Dwan some easy looks. I don't know. Um, but that that seemed to be kind of kind of what the plan was. And that was the opposite of what we were sitting in our living room talking about. We're going, you know, I kind of thought they'd come out and try to pound it. Yeah. And, then let him just kind of take some throws and get his confidence going. Because, uh, you know, look, you can you can see him. The the talent's there, right? I mean, he yeah. had a couple runs that looked great. The athleticism's there. Big body yeah. guy. Um, yeah, I, I will say this. I thought, and I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this. I thought when Stetson came in, they all looked calmer. Not just at the quarterback position, but the unit in general. And look, some of that could have just been circumstance where they're finally – whatever it is, they were 25 minutes into the ball game at that point. Maybe guys are kind of the adrenaline's out and they're settling down and everybody's kind of feeling that rhythm a little bit. I don't know. But um, he just looked like he was more prone to take what the defense was going to give him. Yeah. Um, Now, with that being said, do you think it makes the decision for Saturday now much more difficult because he's got – one kid who's athletic talent and is the ceiling is obviously the highest in Dwan. Mm. But then you have Stetson who put up whatever it was, 30, 35 of the 37 points. Um, you know, how do you think that dictates the decision? And where do you think they will lean if, and, and look, I'm like you, I, I think JT's deal is a lot more layered than the national media is making it out to be like that announcement came out and all the national media said, well, we'll have to see what JT Daniels looks like. And yeah. I don't know, man, if you've been listening to the dialogue throughout the off season and what they've said about it, and he has the surgery in December to clean up the original surgery. And, you know, 
is the knee there? Is he going to be able to plant all those things? And how much comfort is he going to have in a I'm going to get hit live situation? I, I just I don't see it as being as cut and dry as maybe some of the national media thinks it is. Yeah, I, I think um, uh, something else happened to JT Daniels' knee uh, because I have seen guys, he's a year post-ACL surgery. You should be clear by now. I've seen guys uh, that tore their ACL. My best friend, uh, Michael Bennett, who was my roommate, tore his ACL twice. Ron Corson, director of medicine, still there. He's fantastic. One of the best in the SEC. Michael Bennett was cleared five months post-ACL surgery. Uh, JT Daniels is a year post. He should be good to go. I think what happened is maybe somebody botched his surgery. Maybe maybe they had to go back in after a couple months and, and clean something out. I do believe that's why he hasn't been cleared yet. Um, but, you know, back to your original question about where does Georgia go from here, there's no doubt that when Stetson came in the game um, – with the same players in the same plays, they move the ball down the field. You can't deny that. And Stetson has more game playing experience than any of these guys. Right. Besides JT. I mean, but JT hasn't played in 18 months. Now, you know, Stetson's experience is at the Juco level, but uh, you know, the conundrum here that Kirby has to weigh is, do you believe Stetson Bennett, not can he beat, beat Tennessee, not, you know, can his right arm beat even Auburn? Can you beat Alabama? Can you get to the SEC championship and win it? And can you go to the basketball playoff with Stetson Bennett? I don't want to write the kid off without seeing much of him, um, but the eye test would tell me no. Uh, and I hope Stetson Bennett, and because I root for the underdog story all the time, uh, I hope he proves me wrong, and I hope he proves a lot of people wrong. But I go back to this. You know, he was originally a walk-on. And there's a reason why he was a walk-on. It's because this this staff didn't believe that he was scholarship worthy. And so that just doesn't change overnight. Um, I think this is also maybe a byproduct of over-recruiting at the quarterback position. I think it's a byproduct of two things. COVID, not getting enough reps in the offseason and developing a quarterback. But even without COVID, um, your quarterback room was loaded this year. And when your quarterback room is too loaded – you you have a hard time dispersing reps among quarterbacks. And, and so what that does is you don't – one guy doesn't really get the bulk of the reps. So instead, you've got four or five guys who are just okay, right, and haven't really developed instead of having one guy predominantly who's head and shoulders above everybody else because he has gotten the vast majority of the reps. You know, they all offseason, they've been going, okay, we're going to give a little here. We're going to get a little, give a little here. We're going to give a little here instead of going, we're going to give the bulk here. And I think that's why the quarterback position right now looks behind at Georgia because it is. The development of it is behind. Uh, and so for Kirby, you know, he made the decision. I said I thought it was premature, but he made it and he's got to live with it. But when you pull a freshman that quick, six series into his, his career – uh, he's going to be looking over his shoulder now. And so, you know, for Dewan, he's got to handle it uh, in a manner, in a much more mature manner than really what his age shows, uh, because it's not easy once you get yanked to go back out there and play uh, without the fear of making making mistake, right? It's just a natural reaction. So Dewan is going to have to kind of block out the noise and even block out the, man, I don't, I don't know if my coaches believe in me. You know, uh, they pulled me six series into a game. He's going to have to kind of get past that point and mentally say, you know what, I'm going to prove him wrong. Uh, and But I would make this competition about Dwan Mathis and JT Daniels because I believe those two guys have the highest ceiling for what you want to achieve and what you can achieve. And I would, I would almost treat Stetson Bennett as like a relief pitcher. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and you know, I don't think, and I think you go back to, to when it all happened, but I don't think you go after a JT Daniels and the transfer porter and bring in a JT Daniels if the vision is not he's going to be our guy eventually, right? Now, obviously, that wasn't plan A because I think he was, in reality, the 2021 plan, and they would have been happy just having him stow time and, and get that knee as healthy as possible and, and get comfortable and all those things and let Jamie Newman run the show. Obviously, that wasn't meant to be and didn't happen. Um, and this is this is the hand everybody's dealt now. But it, it's going to be an interesting story, man. I, I think because I think 
what was evident to me at least is what I think we've all thought through the offseason. Boy, they're deep, man. I mean, they're deep on defense. They're deep at the wide receiver position. They're young, but they're deep. Uh, I, I thought tight end position looked good. John Fitzpatrick had a nice game. Yeah. Darnell Washington looked like a grown man. I mean, yeah. they looked they looked fantastic. Yeah. I will say this too. I think a guy on that roster who is severely undersold and doesn't get as much run as he probably should is Kane McIntosh. I mean, I feel like every time that kid touches a ball, and I don't care if it's garbage time or whatever, he makes something happen, man. And yeah. I think some guys are like that. Yeah. And so I'm be interested to see kind of how he works into that. But I say all that just to be, you know, the quarterback's a linchpin. The, yeah. the, engine, don't, the engine don't go without the quarterback. Yeah. And they've got all that talent. And look, Kirby's got to know that too. Yeah. And there's got to be a sense of urgency there and a sense of we got to get this right because we got a group that could really do something if we yeah. can get steady here. Well, uh, they threw the ball 49 times on yeah. Saturday. And that is so unlike Kirby Smart. Um, yep. I went back and I looked today since Kirby since 2017. Kirby's first year was what, 2016? 2016, yeah. Okay, so 2017. Since 2017, Georgia has thrown the ball three times since 2017, over 40 attempts in a game. Last year, they threw it twice, LSU and South Carolina. They lost both. Yep. Before that, they, they threw it over 40 times one time, 2017, zero times in the whole season. So I, I say that to provide context that it's not what Kirby is used to and he's not what he's comfortable with. Um, and so the conundrum going on here is I think Kirby knows and he sees the landscape of college football and he goes, okay, we have got to somehow generate more explosive plays and we've got to score more points than 25. Uh, our third year last year was like 25 points. That's not going to cut it. But he's juggling – how do I win now? Like my job is to beat Auburn, right? right? And who, what quarterback gives me the best job to win now? But then he's also juggling, you know, who gives me the best chance to win for the future? And I think that you have to give Dewan Mathis another chance. And I, and I, I just think with young quarterbacks and quarterbacks in general, because all of these quarterbacks right now are young in terms of experience in the system. Um, you have to be able to have a little bit more patience. We're, we live in such an instant gratification culture because of social media. Sure do. That everybody just wants like, okay, I want him to be Peyton Manning right now. He should be Tom Brady. He should be Aaron. You know, and it just doesn't happen like that. Like go look at the freshman quarterbacks who have played for Georgia. Stafford, Murray. They didn't put up gaudy numbers their freshman year. You can maybe do that in the Big 12 because they don't play any defense. Right. You know, in the SEC, there's no such thing as an easy completion. So I think sometimes people and fans look around the other the other parts of the co- the country and they go, well, you know, Kyler Murray played as a fr- or, or, you know, um, the new quarterback at Oklahoma is playing as a freshman and he's having success. Well, it's a different conference, so it's kind of apples to oranges. This is the SEC. They play much better defense. I just think Dwan Mathis, you have to have a little bit more patience Everybody wants to hit add 30 seconds in the microwave and expect a flaming yawn. You know, like yep. you've got to allow these guys to get reps. And the only way for them to get to the point where they're the next Bo Nix or, you know, you have the next franchise quarterback for the next two to three years at Georgia is to allow them to plow through a little bit of the growing pains. I'll say this to Antoine and boss and I talked about this during the summer, but you saw on Twitter over the summer guys on the roster coming out and tweeting about Dwan and how much they liked him and how good he was. And that struck me, man, because I feel like in so many ways, that's a big role for the quarterback, right? To have the whole crew behind him and guys going, this is the guy we want to ride with. And I'm not saying they were saying that after Jamie left, like this was happening when the whole complement of quarterbacks was there. So obviously there's some belief there on the roster, which is great. I mean, you want that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, again, I just go back to the talent there is tantalizing. Yeah. And um, I do think if you kind of go back and rewatch some things, look, he, he looks sped up a little bit. But I think that's normal for yeah. a freshman starting a road game in the SEC. Now, look, obviously not a true road game like it normally is, but still yeah. on the road, dealing with that, dealing with that speed on, on a live action situation with an SEC defense. Um, I mean, it did look like the, the route on the interception, it, it looked like that was a that was a read for the receiver and the receiver didn't sit down in the zone the way he was supposed to. So I don't know. 
that one looked kind of iffy to me. Um, and then obviously I think the reason that the hook happened was there's the snap situation yeah. and then there's the stepping out of bounds a yard short of the first down and Kirby just looked like he was about to blow a gasket. Yeah. Um, so we posted a screenshot this week of Kirby looking at him on the sideline like – and I, I just – I think he yeah. kind of got, got anxious and said we, we got to go in a different direction. How much, how much do you think Coach Munkin being there and there being this expectation out of the gate that they were going to be this explosive offense – maybe plays into that. I know they say that doesn't matter and we don't hear outside, but look, man, obviously they do because they hired coach Munkin and that was in response to having no vertical passing game and no explosiveness last year. So there has to be, I feel like some exterior pressure from narrative and all those type things. I mean, how much do you think that plays into the decisions they're going to have to make and kind of the urgency at that position and with the offense? Well, I, I just think that when you're playing a schedule like you are this year in the SEC, there's no warm-up games for these young quarterbacks. You know, that's also what's so different is this is, you know, uh, Murray got to play cupcake teams. Stafford got to play cupcake teams. Greeny, as a freshman, got to play warm-up games. Your warm-up game this year is on the road against Arkansas. And trust me, I know it's Arkansas and they've lost 19 straight SEC games. But they're not McNeese State. They're not Austin P. They're good yep. quality players. So yep. there is no platform for these young core. I mean, they are straight thrown into the fire, and so uh, that's that's part of it's what's different. The other part too is, you know, and I've seen this happen a lot too. Is we used to call them practice all Americans. There are guys, and maybe this is the case for Dwan Mathis. Maybe he's just a guy that can give you all the verbal answers in the meetings and he, and he looks great in practice, but then when the lights come on and the bullets are live, he freezes up. I, I think, you know, if he wasn't a freshman and there was a little bit more of a sample size, I'd be able to genuinely kind of uh, say, say that with, uh, but I've seen this before where freshmen, you just go, okay, the game mentally, everything is going fast. You know, you're still learning to read coverages on top of that. You're learning a new offense. Um, you know, I remember my first game, man, and I wasn't a freshman. I started on the road, my first start at Georgia Tech, and I blinked, and we were down 20 to nothing. And I, I, it was like, you know, sometimes just, man, you're just out there, and you're like, God, like, we can't get one thing to go our way. But right before half, we put a drive together, and we scored a touchdown, and the momentum changed like that. And my confidence changed like that because the reality of it is, is when you're down, you know, your first game and you, you started off 0 for 7 and you got a pick, like you start to press and you start to, you know, you feel right. that. And I think that's what happened to Dewan. And then he looks up and he gets pulled and then he gets yanked and he's going, okay, now my coach is basically telling me that he thinks the guy behind me is better. So, you know, luckily for me, we got that touchdown right at half and it changed the momentum and we came out and, and we ended up winning that game in overtime. But our offensive production in the second half was night and day from the first half. So sometimes it just takes a little bit. And you got to be patient and allow it to develop. I understand Kirby's dilemma, too, is, you know, you got to win now and people want to win now and you got to play the guy that gives you the best chance to win now. Nobody knows that but Kirby. And I think Kirby and his staff have to figure out. Is Dwan Mathis a guy that is going to freeze up in the games? And he's just somebody that's kind of fooled us as a good practice player. Um, because what you can't deny is, you know, Stetson may not have all the intangibles, but the ball got out quick. He looks like he processes information quicker. There's yep. kind of that gunslinger mentality to him. And uh, you can't deny the fact that when he got in there, the ball was completed. The ball was moved down the field. Uh, so I'm, I'm eager to see. I just think, at some point you have to start to eliminate quarterbacks and move in a direction where you're going to go, okay, we're going to focus on getting this guy better. Yeah. I, the thing I liked about Stetson, I mean, to your point, I, he, he did not look scared. Uh, the, the stage didn't look too yeah. big for him. He didn't, he didn't shrink in it. I thought he made a couple of really nice throws. I thought that dig throw that he made to Matt Landers was, that was a nice throw tight window. Um, I just, just threw some good balls, had a couple good balls to meet just Robinson on the drive uh, for the field goal before the half. Um, just had some, just had some nice plays and made some plays with his feet to extend yeah. plays. And, um, yeah, I mean, still, still has that dynamic and does those things. Obviously the drawback on him is the height, right? He, he's just not a big kid. 
Um, yeah. So I think you're going to run into situations where maybe he's overwhelmed a little bit by height, the defensive lines and trying to find gaps and windows to, to hit guys. But, you know, uh, to your point, I, I just thought he didn't look phased by the moment or the environment. And that's a big deal. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to track going forward. Uh, talk to a little bit about Auburn. Um, I know how you feel about that rivalry and how big a deal it is to the program in general and to Georgia fans. Does it feel weird having it being played first week in October? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, we had a couple Auburn callers uh, call in today on my show. And, uh, you know, they voiced how they were kind of happy that the game, and they feel like they have an advantage at least this year playing Georgia early because you're catching them in a, in a pretty, you know, susceptible situation right now with no identity uh, at the quarterback position. So in that sense, and you get away from if you're an Auburn fan playing back-to-back games on the road some years with Georgia and Alabama. Um, but I love the schedule, guys. I mean, I really do. Makes it a whole lot tougher on these coaches. But I think players enjoy playing good quality conference competition. The players don't really enjoy playing the, the cupcake games. I mean, you're only playing a quarter and a half if you're a starter anyways. I know the consumers, the fans enjoy it. So I would like to see it stick around. I don't know if it will. Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, is probably sitting there going, you know, why do I need to change? We've had a team, if not two, in the college football playoff uh, when it, since it started. So, um, But, you know, Georgia embarks on this five-game stretch where they've got five ranked teams. Right. So they had one warm up game and, and now, it, you know, it's not cutting time for them. Yep. And so, you know, Auburn, I, I don't think Auburn is as good of an all around team as they were even maybe last year. I think there's certain pieces like the D line isn't as good as last year. They lost two guys in the draft. They got big cat Bryant back, um, you know, but Bo Nix is in his year two and he's got Seth, Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz and, um, it's not a team that I look at right now and I go, okay, this is the best team under Gu- that Gus Malzahn has ever had. They've got pieces sprinkled in that are really good. As I just hawked a loogie coming out of my mouth. Thank God you guys are on Zoom and not in person. That could have been so much delighted. Uh, uh, but you know, your your defense is good enough to keep you in the game. Your good your defense is good enough to I think win you the game. Uh, you know, I think this game is. Can you get in the 20s? Can Georgia's offense get into the 20s and mid-20s? Because I think Georgia's defense forced three turnovers last week. It's going to be good, and they're going to get better as the season goes on. The question is, is can they hold on long enough in the game and force enough field goals in the red zone and be as stingy as they've been and keep this game in the 20s? Because I don't see this game getting in the mid to high 20s. Could be wrong. But based on what I saw out of, out of Arkansas and Georgia, I think this is a low-scoring 20, 20 to 23, 21 to 18 type ball game. What's the matchup you're most interested in on Saturday, seeing between those two units, defense versus offense, offenses versus defense? You know, any kind of positional matchups there that you're really keen on and looking at and think could be a game changer for one side or the other? Yeah, I think it's two. I think it's Georgia's secondary versus Auburn's receivers, as I mentioned, Williams. Uh, and Schwartz. Schwartz is this world-renowned track star. Uh, he actually runs track for Auburn. And uh, and then Seth Williams, big body receiver. Uh, and so Georgia's secondary, which is a good secondary, brings, you know, I mean, Georgia's defense in general brings back 10 guys uh, from last year's top five defense. So, um, you know, that, that'll that be something. Uh, the other matchup I would throw in there, or it's not really a matchup, it's just something to watch for is you know, Bo Nix is sneaky athletic, and um, he hasn't thrown an interception in seven straight games, dating back to last year's LSU team. So, you know, for as young as he is, it's hard to kind of confuse him. He's a coach's kid. He's grown up in the game. I think that shows, makes good decisions. But Gus's offense have always been the best when the quarterback is better as a runner than a thrower. Like Cam Newton was a better runner than a thrower in college. Um, you know, uh, uh, Nick Marshall. Nick Marshall was a better runner than he was a thrower. And statistically, if you look at those offenses, they were the best in the Gus Malzahn era. So Gus loves to run the quarterback. I think it, it really makes it hard to defend. Uh, so the the, the Bo Nix in the run game is something that is, is an interesting storyline. Can Georgia contain him and limit him? And then I think for Georgia offensively, the matchup is just up front. Georgia has got to be able to run the football. I don't expect Georgia to really live and die off of the right hand of any quarterback, whoever it is Saturday. 
Georgia needs to have a hundred yard rusher. They need to they need to rush for about a buck seventy, a buck sixty, buck eighty, and collectively as a unit to win the game, in my opinion. And what I saw last week was was pretty just uh, uh, I don't want to say disappointing, but it was pretty just lethargic, you know. So um, I, I think in Auburn's D line is not as good as it was last year. So uh, you know, I think being able to run the football offensively for Georgia is what I'm watching. Do you expect Georgia to actually settle on a five offensive lineman? I mean, they were rotating offensive linemen in and out last week, like musical chairs. And it's really hard to get any type of continuity with the offensive line when you're basically playing eight, nine guys when the game was still in doubt in the first half and through the third quarter. Yeah, that's a, that's another good question. I mean, um, you know, some of these guys have a lot of, they have more playing experience than what you think. They just don't have a lot of playing experience together. And I think that's the biggest thing for the O-line is, you know, you look at um, uh, who was that left tackles? Who started at left tackle Sawyer. Saturday? Um, Jamari Sawyer. Sawyer, yeah. Um, some of these guys started last year. They've played, but they just haven't played collectively as a unit. I think if you talk to O-linemen, that's the thing that they always kind of echo is, you know, I need to be able to know – what my left guard and my right guard are doing, you know, and, and that's camaraderie. That's, that's, that only comes from playing games together. So I would be shocked. Georgia's recruited too well at that position. There's too many four stars and five stars littered on that line for Georgia to average 2.9 yards per carry. I thought it was interesting on Monday, you know, all off season, the talk has been about the offensive line. It's going to be unsettled across the board, except for Trey Hill. Trey Hill is going to be the anchor. He's going to be the guy that everything's built around. I mean, I thought Kirby had some very candid and frank comments as it pertained to Trey Hill and his role going forward on the offensive line. Is that something that surprised you with how candid he was about that? And do you think that's something to watch as we move forward with him possibly being shuffled to guard and maybe Warren Erickson getting run at center? Yeah, I mean, those those two snaps, in my opinion, on Saturday were, were Hill's fault. They were erratic. They were off. Um, so, yeah, I mean – you know, a new O-line coach, new scheme. I mean, this is why all offseason I was talking about if you're a team who didn't have much change in the offseason, you are at a true competitive advantage. And I think we're seeing that. Like, Georgia is yep. probably the one team in the SEC that that endured the most change. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about teams that still had the same head coach. You know, I'm not, I'm not comparing them to the old Misses of the world, the Mississippi States who went through a – completely a uh, completely revamped I'm talking about new coordinators new players I mean from losing two running backs and the four offensive linemen and your quarterback and your offensive coordinator I mean Georgia is at a true disadvantage and they've got that that hill to climb uh working through all of these kinks um and so one of them is the offensive line and a new old line coach um but I've got a lot of faith in, in those guys um I'm telling you I've uh, those guys are too well coached. The O-line coach they've got there is now is a good one. They're they're too talented. And I think right now it's just you're you're moving pieces around and you're trying to figure out who is the best at what position. And so I think, you know, hopefully in week two where teams usually make their greatest stride, I think I, I really do. I would be shocked and disappointed uh, beyond measure if, if Georgia's offensive line and run game doesn't look better uh, against Auburn. Yeah, that's one of the things I think we take solace in after Saturday because obviously uneven performance, probably not what everybody had hoped or expected. But I feel like there's always a big jump between week one and week two. And look, man, at the end of the day, talent plays. And yeah. they've got tons and tons of talent. And eventually that's got to that's gotta win out in some way, shape, or form. So it'll be interesting to see. Well, look, we want to we wanna pick some games with you and talk about kind of some yeah. other folks in the, in the landscape of college football. Yeah. Um, so we sent you over 10 to pick. And like we told you, um, we're going to keep track of these all year. And, and person who had the best picks at the end of the year, we're going to do something with. I think we're going to get us a, a dog's red heavyweight title belt or something fun like that. I mean, who doesn't want to have a title belt, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always good. So we'll have a, we'll have a go dogs, 10 pounds of gold that we'll give out. So, um, all right, let's start with, uh, the ACC, uh, UNC has got to go up to BC, got to go up to Chestnut Hill. 
They're uh, they're favored by a 13 and a half. Um, obviously had a, a kind of uneven performance. They're open and weak, but Sam Howell, you know, coming yeah. off a big year last year, uh, Boston College had to come from behind against what, Texas State on Saturday. Uh, where do you see that going? You think the heels cover? Yeah, I think the heels cover. Um, and I like Sam Howell a lot. I mean, if Ian Book wasn't in the ACC this year with Notre Dame, I would like him as the second best uh, quarterback in the conference behind Trevor Lawrence. But you know, interesting thing is UNC started the season off uh, and then they took a, a week off because of a bye week. And then they had a COVID related incident where they didn't play. So they've been off for a couple weeks. Uh, and like you said, they, they looked a little rusty week one. No surprise there. So I think the two weeks off will help them. And, and uh, you know, Boston College is kind of in no man's land up there and, and they're 2-0. and Yeah, but they didn't look good against Texas State, so I I, I take North Carolina uh, to cover and win. How about you, boss? I'm going with UNC. I think that Sam Howell has a big day. Um, I love Sam Howell. I think he's got a good chance to play on Sundays. Uh, I also really think that before the world got turned upside down, he was my sleeper Heisman pick, so I'm rolling with the heels. Yeah, I like the heels too. I think it's um... – Maybe undersold is the wrong word. Maybe it was just my own bias and opinions. But I was I was really surprised at how quickly Mac got things turned around there. I mean, you talk about a culture switch almost overnight. That's kind of what's happened there. And I just would have thought with his age being in what it was and being out of the game, being away from Texas and being in the booth for so long, he wouldn't just be able to jump back in and relate to kids and, and get guys in there. And boy, I was wrong about that. I mean, he's been he's yeah. been getting good talent there and and uh, they're making a charge. And obviously, Sam Howell's great, great player. So I, I like UNC in that game as well. Um, all right, another 330 game in the American. Got Memphis going to Dallas to play SMU. Memphis favored by three. Who you like in that one, Hudson? Uh, I like SMU, Sonny Dykes. Um, SMU had a nice win to start the season over uh, – they beat somebody that uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on. Uh, but – since Memphis kind of uh, got a new staff last year when Norvell went to Florida State, a lot of those guys left. They haven't been quite been the same this year. Uh, so I like I like SMU. Who are you rolling with, boss? I'm rolling with SMU as well. I, I think they I think they win. I got them straight up. Yeah, I watched them play open and week. I think they were one of the the night games open and week, and thought they looked good. Yeah. Thought they were thought they moved fast. Um, also loved that they were rocking the the Dallas uniforms. Um, I was all for that too. So yeah, I liked I liked them at home uh, against Memphis. So looks like we're we're all on that boat. Uh, so got a Big Twelve matchup. I just thought this game was interesting, considering a couple things. Uh, Oklahoma's coming off obviously the huge blown lean to K State, and uh, you know a K State team that had lost to Arkansas State, not really you know a world beater or anything like that. And then you got Iowa State who also lost early and was one of the, I think, posh preseason picks to maybe be one of these CFP crashers. Um, so Boomer Sooner going on the road and favored by six and a half. Who are you liking that one, Hudson? Yeah, I like Oklahoma. Um, you know, I, I think uh, they got a bit humiliated and humbled at the same time uh, last week. And, you know, that tends to kind of happen uh, when you have a freshman quarterback surprised. I really like Lincoln Riley. I think the future is bright with that quarterback because, you know, the past three guys they've had have all been there for one year. It's been kind of a Band-Aid. They've had success with it, but Spencer Rattler is going to be there for at least three years, and he looks just as good as some of these other guys potentially. So, uh, And Lincoln Riley is the best offensive mind in the country, so I think they have a good rebound week. Who you got, boss? Uh, OU runs away with this one as well. I mean, they're going to – it, they always have a stumble every year and then they kind of just, they blow up and then they, they blow the doors off everybody they play for the next three weeks after that. I mean, I think that this is going to be just like that, just like the past couple of years. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I don't know if they're going to blow the doors off Iowa State, but I, I do think they'll cover by the touchdown. Um, you know, Coach Kleiman at K-State seems to have Coach Riley's number the last couple of years, start, starting two and always K-State's coach against the Boomer Sooner and I think they'll go in Ames and get themselves right and get back on track. I think the Big 12 is going to be one of those things where it's just going to be interesting to watch. I mean, obviously Texas gets tested last week, probably escapes with one they shouldn't have. And I feel like they're always the CFP wild card. It seems like, you know, the CFP yeah. always talks about, well, we're, we're picking the four best teams. But, I mean, look, 
everybody knows that we're yeah. trying to represent some of these power five conferences and yeah. Oklahoma always seems to be in that conversation. And look, if, if Texas is one loss or is undefeated, they're going to be right there too. So uh, that'll be interesting going forward. Um, how about this? Uh, I think this is an interesting line. So Florida's obviously coming off big week last week offensively in Oxford. Uh, Kyle Trask, massive day. Kyle Pitts, massive day. And everybody and their mom all across America have been talking about Florida. Florida's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And everybody jumps off that Georgia bandwagon real quick. Georgia can't play nobody at quarterback. And Kyle Trask will win the Heisman. He's this year's Joe Burrow. So 18 and a half against South Carolina. And, I mean, that South Carolina team, I thought Colin Hill played pretty well Saturday night against Tennessee. Uh, and I feel like Jeremy Pruitt's developed some talent there as well. So how, how do you feel about that one, Hudson? You think they cover that? It's kind of a random number, you know, because you, you kind of figure, okay, well, 18 and a half. So you, you either think they're going to win by 18 or 19. Uh, 18 is usually means somebody had to go for two. So something quirky happened. Uh, 19 is kind of an, an odd number to win by a couple field goals. Um, so, you know, 18 and a half against Carolina. Um, you know, I do. I think, I think, I think so. I, I think South Carolina is really limited. I, I think, uh, I think, you know, Mike Bobo, my offense coordinator is there now, but they just, they lost their best running back in the off season due to injury. And, um, you know, I, I just, I watched them the other night they look good, but they, they've got the toughest schedule in the SEC, maybe in the country. Um, and so I, I, I and Florida looks really good offensively. Um, I, I think Florida covers. Boss, not that we have any bias on this, uh, this matchup, but <laughs> who are you rolling with on this? As much as I hate Florida, I'm picking them this week. I think that their offense is going to be too much for South Carolina's defense, which really was uninspiring last week. And that's Muschamp's side of the ball, but that they just did not look good last week. And which against, I do not think is a very good offense in Tennessee. Um, I know everybody loves Florida this, you know, loves Florida this season and is all over Trask, but Trask threw up a couple 50-50 balls, and I know when you got Kyle Pitts over there, who's just a grown man, you know, that looks good, but some those are going to come back and bite him at some time, but I don't think it's going to be this week. This is just a word to the wise for our listeners. Y'all shouldn't listen to me because I couldn't pick a winner if my life depended on it last week, but I'm just telling y'all, I'm rolling with the Gamecocks. I mean, Florida's D, I think, yeah. I think me and Boss could suit it back up, and Hudson, we could put you at flanker, and we could put up 45. Like, that D looked porous on Saturday. And Ole Miss, ain't, it ain't like Ole Miss is full of All-Americans. I mean, 630 yards. I saw some stat that said, uh, the I guess the stat lines, the way the yards given up and points allowed, the, it had happened 17 other times in college football history. And the teams that had done it were 0-17. So the defenses that had given up those numbers were 0-17. So Florida was the first one in history to win a football game when their defense played that poorly. And I just kind of remind me of uh, LSU's defense last year. Remember, like, you know, nobody was really talking about them because of LSU's offense, but early on, LSU's defense was really bad. So can I tell you all what I thought about after the game? Because I was kind of looking at it, I was like, this is kind of a funky thing, but I don't know, man. Kind of reminded me of 2013 dogs, right? Like, first five weeks, boys are putting up, 40-plus. Offense is looking awesome. But, I mean, couldn't couldn't stop anything. Like, it was just points left and right. And eventually, I just feel like at some point – and, look, maybe it's different now because the college game is – it's so different than it was in 13. But you got to stop somebody at some point. Yeah. And I don't know, man. That Florida defense looks sketchy. Anyways. <laughs> and like last week, we really could talk about thing. Florida, Florida for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. All right. So uh, Mizzou is going into Knoxville to play Tennessee. Tennessee is favored by 11 and a half. Yeah, I think Tennessee wins, but I think Missouri covers. Um, Missouri, whether it was because Alabama took the foot off the gas in the fourth quarter or Missouri is just a little better than we think they are. Um, you know, I, I'm not sold on on Tennessee yet, even though they've won, I think, seven or eight straight. Um, and I say sold as in, you know, where I, I feel like they're just a guaranteed book it to cover uh, in something like this. Um, so I think Tennessee ends up winning, but I think Missouri covers. What you got, boss? Hmm. 
I hate this game. I am going to, as much as I, I think, I, I forget the coach's name, Eli mm-hmm. Drinkowitz, or I can't say it, but uh, I, I love him as a coach, but they are mm-hmm. just, yep. they are, they are bereft of talent. I feel like I, I'm going to go with Tennessee on this one. I don't like where Antano. Yeah. I, this is, this is like a coin flip for me. I don't know. I, I do feel like they got a little juice, and we talked about this with Aaron Davis last week. I think the X factor for them is Coach Pruitt, right? Like, regardless of where he's been, he seems to be a guy that his players get behind. And I think that's meaningful. Um, so, I don't know. This is a tough one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take them. I mean, two touchdowns, I don't know. I mean, their offense didn't look explosive, but what do I know? I'm going to take them. I'm going to take the Vols. We'll see what happens. Um all right, this this is maybe weirdest one of the week because I thought this was the weirdest ma- matchup of last week, the weirdest non-cover of last week. But Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M, another Nick Saban pupil, going into Tuscaloosa to play Alabama. Alabama's favored by 16-and-a-half. What do you think on that, Hudson? Uh, Alabama plus the points. Uh, Texas A&M was a huge letdown last week. Third quarter, fourth quarter ball game with Vanderbilt, my gosh. Um you know, and it seems like it's been the same story with Kellen Mond. And I'm not saying it was all on him, but just the offense in general the past couple of years. We've been waiting for Kellen Mond to kind of separate himself from the pack as a premier quarterback in this conference. And he just, for whatever reason, hasn't. So Alabama is the best team by far and away in the conference right now. And I think they put up big points and win. Boss, you on that same page, I bet. Give me Bama running away with it. Um, it could be negative uh, minus 25 and I'd take Bama. Just I know that Texas A&M had a lot of opt-outs, um, but playing Vandy last week, uh, 17-12, um, Vandy had a ton of opt-outs. And as I said last week, they didn't have the talent to begin with to to, have, to afford the opt-outs. And just Jimbo, I don't know what it is. I just I don't, I don't see it this at Texas A&M. And just this has been, you know, every year it's been supposed to be that this year is the year with them, but I, I just, I just don't see it. I think, you know, Bama rolls and, um, they cover, cover and then some. Yeah. I'm roll tied on this too. I, I just think at this point in coach Fisher's tenure mm-hmm. and with this many starts under Kellen Mond's belt, they, they should be way farther along than beating Vandy 17, 12. And, and that's really circumstance independent. I know it's a weird year and all those things, but uh, the talent disparity is too deep for, for that kind of game to be that tight. So, yeah, I think I think Bama rolls in that. Uh, okay, uh, Ole Miss is going up to Lexington to play Kentucky. Kentucky is favored by six and a half over the Rebels. Who are you liking that one, Hudson? Uh, I like Ole Miss to cover. Um, I think Kentucky's a sneaky team this year because they, they got a good offensive line. Uh, and how that game would have been different last week in Auburn if that awful call uh, of the touchdown right before half would uh, have been called. But uh, I think this is a weird game because we don't really see Ole Miss go to Kentucky a lot. Um, but I think uh, this is this is probably a six-point, three-point game at the end. Uh, but I think Kentucky wins. What do you think, boss? I'm actually going to go with Kentucky. I'm not – a huge Terry Wilson fan, but they um, they impressed me enough last week. And Ole Miss's defense is just – I know Florida's offense, everybody loves Florida's offense right now, but there were a couple of touchdowns last week that Florida scored, which were basically 50-50 balls that could have been picked, Or and Kyle Pitts is just you know a grown man. So I, I really think that um, Kentucky wins and covers on this one. They'll probably bite me again, but I'm going to take the Rebels. I, uh, I just – I know Kentucky put up some yards last week against uh, Auburn, but they just just didn't look real explosive to me. And I like both the quarterbacks at Ole Miss. And at the end of the day, maybe I'm biased, but I just think it's a quarterback-driven game. And I think if you've got guys at that position that can make plays, uh, you're in a great position. And I think Coach Kiffin's going to put them in good positions to make plays schematically. So uh, I think they, they just have too much offensive firepower for, for Kentucky and, and Coach Stoops. And so, yeah, I'm going to take the Rebels. Um, all right, so LSU coming off of, I don't know, if, I guess surprising is probably the word, although Boss picked him last week. Big ups to you, Boss. That was a great pick. Uh, he's riding the pirate ship all year. Um, LSU's 19-and-a-half favorite going to Nashville to play Vandy in front of zero fans. Vandy, I believe it's still this way, is the only uh, school in the conference not allowing any fans at their stadium. Um, so who, who you guys got in that one? 
They're not allowing fans, but no fans would just not show well, up. That's a that's a that's a, that's a fair question. Um, <laughs> well, the LSU fans would show up when you know you're not going to get fans. It's a it's you know probably smart to play the oh we're not allowing fans. Yeah. Uh, and um, I think LSU is going to play pissed off. I think Ed Ogeron's pissed off. He's probably tired of hearing about the letdown already about how this team's not good enough. Uh, so I think LSU wins and covers covers. What do you think, boss? LSU running away. I I, I agree. They're going to be pissed. And that defense is going to be embarrassed. And they're going to come out and they're going to to wreck Vandy. So, boss and I were at the Dogs opener last year in Vandy. So, first time at that stadium. I mean, you know, Hudson, you played uh, high school football in Georgia. There's probably high school stadiums in Georgia that are are bigger than Vandy Stadium. Um, And I will tell you that it was all red. Like it might as well have been a, it, it was, it, I mean, obviously not like a Georgia home game because there was half the fans that would be at a Georgia home game, but right. uh, I, we saw pretty much zero Vandy fans. It was incredible. But the, yeah, I, I'm going to take a GEAUX Tigers as well. Uh, I think they run away with that one. Um, all right. So obviously this is the hot team of the week. I would say other than maybe, maybe probably more so than Florida, just because coach Leach is such an electric personality, but uh, Mississippi state favored by 17 and a half in Stark Vegas uh, with the, with the Razorbacks coming to town. Who you got in that one, Hudson? Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, you know, the, the Mississippi Mississippi State is the team that uh, they look good versus Vandy traditionally, and or they look good against Alabama, and then they lose to Vandy. You know, and and so how do they handle success? And that's the hard part to predict right now. Is that what was last week, and what does it mean? Um, Arkansas, I thought you know played a little better. This is a hard offense to prepare for. I just that's a lot of points to give uh, for a team in week two. I know how good they look, so. Uh, I'm going to go under. Oh, I like it. I like it. How about you, boss? You know I'm rolling with Leach. Um, <laughs> it, it would have to be something astronomical would have to happen for me to go against them. <laughs> Mississippi State's, I don't know if it's their Twitter or their Instagram, they released a video today oh, of yeah, Coach Leach climbing up in the bandwagon. I mean, that, that's just uh, just A+. Plus. I am His content from, on a scale of one to electric yeah. is like light your hair on fire. Yeah. I mean – just just outstanding. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm going to roll with them, too. They bit me last week because I was on the LSU train. So I'm going to get on board with you, boss. I'm going to have to get you one of the Mississippi State Pirate flags. You don't have to hang that up by your Georgia stuff, I think. <laughs> all right. So game, game of the week for all of us. So Deep South's oldest rivalry, 125th meeting. War Eagle coming between the hedges to play the dogs. The line is six and a half. First off. I was a little surprised by that. Thought it'd be a little tighter. Thought it'd be kind of a field goal or somewhere in there. But six and a half, dogs favored. Who you like, Hudson? First off, has anybody on this show ever not picked Georgia? <laughs> now Aaron rolled with him last week. He was he was all in. What did he, he pick? 45-7? I think that's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. So pick to not cover? Yes. Pick to, pick to lose? No. Wow. All right. So – Six and a half points. Uh, I actually thought that the line, given how Georgia performed last week, would be a little larger uh, in favor of Auburn. But I think playing at home, and even though it's in front of 25,000, somehow Vegas was like, yeah, you know, they're playing at home. Um, I think Georgia covers, but I don't think Georgia wins. Um, I just don't think, based on what I saw last week, Georgia has – enough offensively right now to get into the mid-20s. And I may be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong, but I don't know how anybody can look at that offense last week and say, man, you know, we could get into a shootout. And and I and I think Auburn's going to score three touchdowns. Uh, so I, I think that that's why I'm going Auburn is just the fact that I, I don't have a lot of confidence in this offense right now to, to be able to get to 25 points. I think that's what you have to get to in this game. So give us give us a final score too, because we're gonna oh, use that uh, as a tiebreaker at the end of the year. Yeah, um, I think it's a you know twenty one twenty seven ball game. You know uh, that would that would miss the cover just by you know just by a little. 
Um, but I think it's in that 27-21. I got to give you a score, so I'll go 27-21, 24-21, but I'll go with 27-21. Where you at on it, boss? I, I, I got Auburn, too. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Uh, Every yeah. it's gonna be tight. It, this is gonna be tight. I, it's gonna be really tight. Yeah. Really, really tight. Both my boys flying War Eagle here. Yeah. I mean, uh, damn. goodness, he's uh, leaving a dog dog out on a branch for real here. Yeah. I mean, hey. I, I love our defense, and if the offensive, you know me, I love the big uglies. If the offensive line was settled, I'd feel much more confident for this game. And but after seeing the way that that. Just musical chairs with the offensive line just bothers me. Uh, the way the right side of the offensive line, even though McClendon graded out well, you know, I mean, it just yeah, – I do not really like the way the offensive line looked. I'm going to say two things about this. I've done a, I've done this pick and pool for like the last 13 years with my buddies from law school where you pay – you know, you're paying to the pot up front and then you pick 10 games against the spread every week. I, for like seven or eight straight years, I never picked the dogs. Number one, because, I mean, you're the worst gauge, right? Because you're so pot invested. Like, I have no, it's all bias. I have no, like, I'm not able to look at it through clear lenses at all. Um, and number two, it just takes the fun out of the game because the whole time I'm watching them going, oh, they're winning, but God, they're not going to cover as usual. Um, but I will say, I hate this number. Six and a half, I hate it uh, because. <laughs> I, I will be happy if they win by one point. So I could care less if they win by seven points. Um, I don't know. I, I think the, them being so unsettled at the quarterback position just gives you a pause on this uh, because I, I just don't know what their bread and butter is. And that feels so weird because I feel like for the last three years, you just knew who they were and you knew what you were going to get on that side of the football. And I think college football fans in general probably take that for granted when they have it. But I think continuity at the quarterback position and continuity at the skill positions, it's just, it's so invaluable. And we just, we don't really have it. Um, I mean, I think George Pickens is a monster. I think the youth and depth uh, on the edges is great. Um, And I think if they make the choice to feed him, that Zeus can be great. But I don't know, man. I just don't know what they're going to be offensively. And that makes me nervous. I think the defense is phenomenal. Maybe the best defense that I've seen um, just from a talent perspective. I don't know. I think the dogs win, but I don't think they cover. Um, I don't think they win by seven. Um, I, I take them. I don't know. I like them by field goal. Maybe that's the other piece about them. That makes me nervous. You know, they're not really settled at the kicker position either. I know that they, you know, they got the kid that may, he made the two kicks last week, the Lesney kid. And, and that's great. But like, if it comes down to a kick, he makes me a little nervous just because yeah. we don't know. And um, I think that's probably something we've all taken for granted too, having hot rod there. Yeah. So, you know, you don't have anybody that you know is going to kick field goals and you don't know what's going to happen at the quarterback position. Oh, it just makes you nervous. But I do think this, I think, I just think Auburn's offense is, look, Bo Nix has got the most experience and, and that's a benefit for them. But at the end of the day, if I'm picking, I either got to take Gus or I got to take Kirby. I'm taking Kirby every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Gus can kick rocks. So, go dogs. <laughs> <laughs> See how long it took me to get to that point? That's because I'm trying to hedge it as much as possible. <laughs> You're trying to convince yourself. <laughs> You're darn right I am. <laughs> um, yeah, well, this is after I went 2-8 and eight last week. So, let's just say I'm second-guessing myself a little bit. Don't worry, Hudson. You're going, you're going to wipe me out on this thing because uh, oh, I, I can't do nothing. Well, um, well, look, man, thanks for hanging out with us. Always always a pleasure to talk with you. We're certainly happy to see things going so well for you. Um, also love when you do the uh, film breakdowns on Twitter, man. So so do as much of that as you can. Those are fantastic. So, yeah, well, All right, brother. Well, you're always welcome back. We certainly enjoy spending time with you, and we'll be, we'll be listening to you on the airwaves, man. Hey, uh, thanks, guys. Anytime, and uh, go dogs. Yep, go dogs, sick them. Hey, man. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.